This edition of the GoVita Podcast proudly brought to you by the Gut Healing Protocol, the all-you-need-to-know book on gut health available at GoVita. Welcome to the GoVita Podcast, where your vitality is our passion. It's time to supercharge your health and wellness, to take the next step on being the best version of you. Let's get underway. Hello and welcome to the GoVita Podcast, the show dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest wellness advice so that you can enjoy the health and vitality that you deserve. Marcus Pierce here with you, CEO of the Wellness Couch Podcast Network, and today we're talking all things gut health. My guest is the wonderful Kale Brock. Kale is a filmmaker, writer, speaker, and an author. He's the author of The Gut Healing Protocol and The Art of Probiotic Nutrition. He is the creator of The Gut Healing Summit and perhaps his most famous project to date is The Gut Movie, a documentary filmed in Namibia with the San tribe exploring the role our environment has on the health of our gut. To explore the role that our gut health does play on the brain and essentially every major organ in the body, it is a very warm GoVita podcast. Welcome to Kale Brock. Welcome, Kale. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus, for that very smooth introduction. That was oh, well, clean. Look, when two journalists combine, <laughs> we must pay each other the respect that we deserve, don't we, great man? Clean as a whistle. That was excellent. You should always script your introduction, folks, and Kale and I would always like to say we're professional in what we do. Now, great man, uh, we must declare that you and I are close personal friends, so if the banter does get a little bit clicky on this podcast, which we'll endeavour it not to, let's just make it very clear that we do know each other personally. But let's get straight into this. There mm. seems to be no end in sight to just how connected every part of the body is to the gut. Let's talk about the, the, the gut health links to mental health and dementia and obesity and exercise, and we will mention diet naturally as well, but I want to know, when you started getting into the gut, did you ever expect it would become this big and wide-ranging in the health and wellness world? Well, it's kind of weird. Um, I sort of fell on on gut health naturally after researching and and a lot of people know my story that I had a health condition when I was 16 and then fell you know into a, a what was essentially a 8 to 10 year journey continuous journey of health and wellness and I think now it's impossible to explore health and wellness at all without at least landing on in some way the gut and and how it affects the body. But I was told back when I was 16, you know, this is 12 years ago that, you know, you've got to heal the gut, you've got to look after the gut. So back then it was kind of this intangible idea like what's going on in my gut? Why do I have to heal my gut to heal the rest <laughs> of my body? This is really weird. Um, but, you know, after thousands of articles and uh, lots and lots of books, I sort of started to develop this knowledge of, how the how the human microbiome works and how the gut bacteria or I say bacteria but it's actually microbes how the microbiota have an action um, in the gut and how that action tends to have a subsequent result in different parts of the body so there's this incredibly complex ecology going on within our digestive systems and also on our skin and you know certainly the actions of these gut microbes can have a massive impact on our metabolic system, our immune system, and our neurological system as well. So when I first started, I didn't know any of that. And it was kind of a just a very slow journey of picking up things here and there. And then when I really got into it and started interviewing, you know, some of the best in the world like Margie and Damo, who we both know. Margie um, Smith and Damien Christoph, for those that are wondering. Yeah. 
sorry, Dr. Margie Smith and Dr. Damien Christophe, both of whom uh, appeared in the film, and Professor Mimi Tang and Professor Thomas Barodi, you know, some real pioneers in this space. That was when I really started to get, uh, started to piece together this puzzle of the gut microbiome. And it's a very complex one, and I think it's ever-evolving, and we'll certainly find some interesting revelations in the next 10 to 20 years still. Uh, but certainly we know a lot about it right now, and it's it's getting pretty exciting. There's a great one-liner, and I don't know who coined it, but it is um, this, that complexity is the enemy of progress. And one thing I do love about you, Kale, is that you do have a a great way of making the complex relatively simple to understand. So you use a great analogy um, around the gut, um, particularly as you talk about it as a dashboard in the body. Can you paint the picture for people? Because like you said, it is a complex topic the deeper we dive. But let's talk about this on a simplistic nature. And again, I love your dashboard analogy. Can you share that for people? Yeah, I mean, I used to write that it's your gut is like your body's central dashboard. You know, that's the master computer of your body and anything that goes on within the master computer is going to have a subsequent reaction in some other area of the human organism. So if we've got problems, for instance, in that master computer, that master dashboard, then we can expect problems in in certain areas of the body connected with it. So, So I've got visions of like the mm -hmm. air conditioning vent in the back seat. You know how some cars have air conditioning in the back seat? And sometimes yeah. that vent's not working and you're trying to change everything and open it up and close it and shift it. But really what you're saying using this analogy is that it's, it all goes back to the dashboard. Yeah, You've got to press the button and it's not working and naturally there might be other problems down the track, but it may not necessarily be at that point. Yeah, it's almost like a um, – I think that that's the, <laughs> that's the best analogy is, you know, we want to actually go back to the root cause of what's – going on when it comes to, you know, we could um, try and take the pollution out of the river or we could stop polluting the river. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's kind of that analogy that just to make it really simple, we've actually got to go back to the root cause of what's going on. And if we've got issues, if we've got symptomology presenting itself in a negative way, then, you know, the chances are we should look at the microbiome. Yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful almost turn of um, – philosophical events over the last, uh, suppose, as you said earlier, 10 to 12 years that allows us to have this conversation today. So uh, we're going to talk about the gut-brain connection on this episode, but before we talk specifically about the brain, I wouldn't mind talking about mental illness because it is something that is it's, it is prevalent, it is widely discussed. We have uh, 1 million um, Australians just in our country with depression, 2 million with anxiety and again as the conversation matures and evolves we are beginning to talk around um, gastrointestinal imbalances as maybe a cause of that are you happy to give your viewers to why we're so out of balance and and what particularly some of the causes may be yeah i mean i think it's a it's a very complex issue it's certainly not black and white and, you know, I've been doing a lot of research into this field in the last sort of couple of months because I've got a big project coming up more in this space than what I have been. And, you know, you know, there are 300 million people around the world dealing with depression. Wow. That's huge. Wow. 300 million. So it's a very prevalent issue. And it's one we actually need to sort of approach from a multitude of angles. We've got a big emphasis on mindfulness now, which I think is really important. Um, 
probably something that's affecting us that's not so much nutrition-based and physiological in nature is our use of social media and technology and all these things. I think they're going to have a big impact on our mental well, state. Just just on that, though, I mean, my mm. understanding, and this is just, again, two journalists speaking, but really, like, my understanding is that there's research suggesting that our consumption of news and social media does cause a spike in our cortisol levels and our stress levels, then impairing our digestion because we're riding this volatile wave of emotion based on, oh, we don't have that perfect life or, you know, Mm. an attack happened in that part of the world and am I safe anymore and maybe not. And it does, you know, I don't want to draw too big a wand here, but it does seem to be quite a, um, you know, quite a practical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, tangible link between our consumption of news and social media in relation to our gut health as well. Totally, totally. And it's that's why we talk about the gut-brain connection. It's not a unidirectional relationship. It's a bi-directional relationship. The gut communicates with the brain, but the brain also communicates with the gut. And that's where, excuse my French guys, this is where the they're saying, you know, I was scared shitless comes from, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's you're so scared that you empty your bowels. You know, mm-hmm. this is the the brain's um, or we're so scared after we're so traumatized after certain experiences that we actually vomit, you know. So there's this very strong connection. And Damien talks about this a lot, Dr. Damien Christoph, how the gut and the digestive system and the um brain and your neurological system originate from the same tissue within the womb. So they're very much interconnected and that sort of relationship persists throughout the whole entire lifespan of the human organism. So we've got this enteric nervous system, which is this complex array of nerves which run from the gut to the brain. And not only are there messages, neurons sort of firing between them, but we also have this um, blood to gut to blood to brain connection so um the the gut is able to sort of secrete molecules and allow them into the bloodstream which the brain then picks up and is able to sort of modulate responses based off those and you know that's actually being studied as a potential cause of um certain conditions as well where they're looking at certain molecules moving into the bloodstream from the gut which potentially shouldn't be there um, in such high doses anyway, like lipopolysaccharide, which is basically an endotoxin that bacteria themselves make. When too much of that moves into the bloodstream, it can be inflammatory. And it not only moves into the bloodstream, but it can cross the blood-brain barrier and move into the brain and cause inflammation in the brain. And they're, they're saying, they're sort of hypothesizing, this is Dr. David Perlmutter and a couple of other studies have sort of supported this idea, is that this extra inflammation in the brain may be leading us to experience things like Alzheimer's and dementia and mm. all these other sort of later onset neurological disorders. So there's a lot going on in this space and <clears throat> certainly it's very far reaching and you know we've seen we've seen monumental studies come out of places like Deakin University looking at a whole foods diet uh, in terms of an intervention for depression and getting incredible results. So it's very far reaching and how do we sort of hone in on different things and how do we sort of create a comprehensive message for the everyday person to act on that? And I suppose the takeaway is, yes, we need to look after our gut in order to look after our emotions, but we also need to look after our emotions and our mental health in order to look after the gut. Oh, there's so much in there. I'm going to spin you off in about three or four different directions over the the course of this episode, pretty much based on on your answers in there. I think one thing that's really important, just just on what you were saying there, is you're talking about this endotoxin, and it does um, fascinate me that there are certain processes that happen within the body that 
are really important to happen. But if they happen too often or if then the quantities are too much, then it becomes toxic and creates a, a toxic environment. I think beta amyloid is one example uh, heavily linked to Alzheimer's that where we need beta amyloid in the body, but too much of it is then used as a marker for Alzheimer's. And exactly what you're saying about that endotoxin, we've got to be really careful that we just, I think, toxicity full stop as a lifestyle habit is one thing that um, all of us, our listeners, you and I, just the 2018 lifestyle needs to be really cautious of, don't you think? Totally, totally. And yeah, I mean, I'd love to emphasize your point there and just add something in because we speak about different bacteria as being bad or good. And often that's not actually the case. We talk about something like candida, for instance, which, you know, we sort of throw that word around as being like the the nasty bug and all these different things, whereas candida is actually a beneficial yeast. It's meant to be in the bowel cleaning up toxins in the body. It's only when it becomes sort of uh, develops these Napoleonic ambitions to take over your entire <laughs> organism and, you know, is not suppressed with good probiotics and is fed too much sugar that it actually becomes toxic. The same could be said of something like Helicobacter pylori, which Dr. Martin Blazer has been studying at New York University for such a long time. He actually found that H. pylori is important in terms of developing your immune system and your appetite responses, whereas if it's in too high doses, it may cause stomach ulcers. So it really has to be taken on this um, you know, idea, and, and it shouldn't be that surprising because when we look into nature and we see these examples in something like a rainforest, we accept it as being normal. And yet what we've done with our gut and, and microbiome and our digestive system and the human experience is to say, well, yeah, there are probably 2% of microbes that are bad for us. 98% are either commensal, so they're just safe and harmless or even beneficial, um, but we focus on those bad ones and tried to get rid of them and we've used too many antibiotics mm. and that we've actually caused more imbalances. Um, so, yeah, it's a very sort of convoluted issue. And, and like you said, we could go off on about 10 different tangents. Oh, it's fascinating, particularly this whole 98%, 2%. Again, we've mentioned uh, Dr. Damien Christoph a number of times here, but I know one thing he just gets frustrated by in, in the community is we've got this obsession with killing everything and even parasites are all obsessed with killing the parasites and destroying the parasites where really we just want to improve the ratio like add your probiotics, get the gut health up rather than focusing on the 2%. And it's something that society is almost addicted to is the addicted to seeing the wrong answer, you know, the 2% that you didn't get it perfect rather than seeing all of the good stuff that is already there. Oh, you, you said something earlier that I think uh, listeners would be fascinated by. And even though it, it seems common sense, this link between mental health and diet. Now, again, I sometimes think people like you and I, Kale, that have been in this industry for 10 plus years, we go, oh, well, of course that makes sense that your food intake is linked to your mental health. But we now know that science and medical research is now proving this. Do you want to share uh, what you've learned, particularly from a research perspective around the link between gut health, diet, and mental health? Yeah, I guess one of the the sort of hallmark studies um that was done, and I say hallmark because it was actually done on humans. We've got so many studies done on not rats and mice, and yeah, we've we've got so many studies on rats and mice, which are supportive but not conclusive because they're done on mice. You know, they're not humans. Um, but in Australia at Deakin University, they basically took a, two groups of people. They assigned them either social support 
or a whole foods diet for their very serious depression. And they were able to, <clears throat> I think they went on this sort of, I've got the study in front of me now. They went on this um, program for around six weeks, I believe. And we talked about it in the gut movie. And basically they had these very stark differences between um, the social support group outcomes and the diet outcomes. And they found that within the diet group, there was actually a 33%. So a, a third of the people in the group actually met criteria for remission of their major depression just using whole foods just for six weeks. Like mm. how incredible is it's a that? a short period of time and an incredible response in a short period of time. Totally, totally. So I think that's just one example. And I think one- it was only 8% for the social support group. So even yes, as you. I was reading that, I was like, well, then imagine – if we were smart enough to combine social support with nutritional support, you know, <laughs> totally. you can even, even do the maths and just see what, what impact that would have. And, you know, um, no, neither of them are rocket science, are they? That's where I think is it, that is the, the power is it's not like they had to spend thousands of dollars on expensive drugs or, or technology that wasn't available to them. We're talking whole foods um, and humanity. Totally, totally. And imagine, like you said, imagine coupling social support with some mindfulness techniques, some reductions in the use of um, devices and some, you know, maybe something up more yeah, your alley. Yeah, a few like, more factors in there, yeah. Yeah, like fulfillment and purpose and all these different things. I seriously think that, you know, from my personal perspective, I think that the majority of mental illness in you know the world could be prevented um or at least you know to a large extent with mm. with these sort of safer methods because unfortunately we've got a massive um pharmaceutical industry behind the treatment of mental disorders which is largely and, and this is admitted by that same industry which is largely not targeted you know it's quite vague in their in their approach and previously it's sort of been looked at as you know, for instance, depression is a serotonin, um, a lack of serotonin in the body. Um, whereas we know now that that may not actually be the case. They're starting to look at depression as being more as a, as a um, inflammatory response as opposed to a lack of serotonin. And, you know, that serotonin theory as well, if we look at the fact that our gut bacteria actually manufacture 90% of that particular neurotransmitter, then again, we come back to the gut and, and what we can do there. Um, I think we're probably, we've overcomplicated this issue. And yes, it's, there's always going to be a multitude of factors. And that's what I always try and emphasize to people. I'm not saying that people people aren't depressed or, or shouldn't get depressed if, you know, something major happens in their life. But I'm saying that, you know, if we for um, if we sort of fortify ourselves with really good healthy practices that involve an approach that looks after the gut microbiome, we're going to be, be able to deal with these things from a much better standpoint. How good is this edition of the GoVita podcast? Now, remember, when you're next in one of GoVita's 150 stores around Australia, make sure you grab yourself a copy of Kale's book, The Gut Healing Protocol, and check out GoVita's incredible range of products supporting optimal gut health. Okay, back to Kale. 
and I think you're spot on, and I think that's so. That's what I love about you, great man, is that you're not um, evangelical about this. You know, you're wise enough to know that it could be movement that is the the trigger for people's improvement in mental health. There are some people that say that you know exercise essentially saved them. There are some people that love going for walks in nature, that do yoga or meditation. Uh, this study is essentially showing that a whole foods diet had a really strong impact with a third of the people in the group, and I think. I think that's the thing, isn't it, Kale? Just to know to know what works for you, but to do the work to finding out what works for you. Totally, and totally, and I think when we give up responsibility for our own health and well-being, we do ourselves a really big disservice. Mm. We we absolutely do because we are the ones who need to be in charge. We can always, you know, we've got to work with really good, skilled up practitioners, but ultimately it's got to come down to us. We've got to be the ones to do the work. We're, unfortunately, we're never going to fu- get to a space where we can take one pill to fix all our ills. We're never going to get there. It's always going Life to... would be so boring if that was <laughs> the case, would. you know? It would. The obstacle is the way, you know. This is the, the, the colour that's involved in overcoming issues and dealing with problems. And you and I spoke about this before we started recording. Whilst I was in Europe, we were robbed and, <laughs> you know, had all this money stolen and all these different things. Like, you, that could be a trip ruiner. Yeah. But, you know, what do you learn from it? How do you sort of build yourself up to deal with those situations? Because in the end, we're so lucky to be human beings. I mean, the odds of becoming a human being on this planet are infinite, yeah. infinite to one. There is a number. You know there's a number. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> no, there is a number. I, I saw it somewhere. Yeah. Google it anyway. I um, Now, you yeah. mentioned serotonin. I just want to ask you because I know there's like hundreds or thousands of factoids that, you know, you could talk about here about the gut. But before I get onto the gut-brain connection in relation to autism, I want to ask you, you mentioned that whole 90% um, uh, number with uh, neurotransmitters being created in the gut. Can you just talk about that with uh, not just serotonin because my understanding based on what I've read from you is it also um, it also relates to melatonin and dopamine as well. Can you just educate our listeners on that as well? Yeah, so basically there's a cascade of uh, neurotransmitters which come from that master one, serotonin. So serotonin actually in the brain is metabolized down into dopamine and then melatonin. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, but those, yeah, so they're sort of interdependent on each other. Um, so it's not that the gut bacteria are making serotonin and melatonin. They're actually mostly making the melatonin, which is going up into the brain and then being metabolized down into those sort of um, sub-neurotransmitters as well. And it all starts in the gut. I think that's probably the, the key here. Although, as you said, there's a, bio, there's, a, there's a dual line of communication going on, but there is a major role that the gut is playing in, you know, as you've said, the happiness hormones that we want and the melatonin we want to fall asleep. It's not just a – it's not just um, – uh, you know what you've been thinking, so to speak, or stress. It also comes down to what you've been eating and how much you've been nourishing your gut. Now let's go on to autism because this is something that, again, a bit like what we're saying with mental health. There are a lot of people listening to this that either have someone in their family with autism, or they know someone with autism, or they're just becoming more aware of it. Can you educate us on what we're learning about the gut-brain connection and autism? I think what's really impressive about, um, you know, Catalyst actually talked about this. The ABC's Catalyst program talked about this probably three or four years ago. They brought out the idea that children with autism have different gut bugs than children who don't. 
And they're starting to sort of – and funnily enough, Dr. Natasha Campbell-McBride, who's the inventor of the GAPS diet, um, has been talking about this for years, you know, I think almost decades. Um, so it shows how, how far we are, we are behind over here in the, in the West. Um, but basically what they're sort of saying is when the gut is a source of toxicity during those very important sensitive developmental years instead of a source of nutrition – that's when those sort of problems, neurologically speaking, can occur. So instead of, for instance, um, you know, those neurotransmitters being made and important um, omega-3 fats and very important um, antioxidants moving into the bloodstream and going to the brain and nourishing the brain, uh, these children may have uh, toxins coming from things like E. coli or clostridia moving into the bloodstream and then sort of um, basically toxifying the brain and causing these developmental issues. That's generally the theory. And the the subsequent sort of potential approach for that would be to actually um, suppress those bugs, to, to kill off those bugs or um, sort of treat that infection to potentially treat uh, the neurological condition. And this is not a crazy idea. It's almost, you know, it's a very – I seem – it seems like it's a very sensitive topic here in Australia, but Dr. McBride's been working with kids for, for such a long time with this and has a very, very long list of very positive turnarounds in this space where kids have had autism and then they do not after going through you know something like the GAPS diet. That's a huge thing to say, um, especially when we're seeing whatever it is now. Is it 3 in 10 or something something crazy in terms of children being diagnosed with with autism, so it's a very prevalent issue. Um, but again, it just comes back to that idea that the gut is a source of nourishment for the entire body, and one of those parts of the body is the brain. And if we have an infection in the gut, then yeah, it can actually affect um, the brain as well. So that's sort of the idea, and certainly there's a little bit of research coming out now to um, support that, where treatment of those digestive problems, and it's not just an infection, by the way. The research has sort of found that these uh, children with autism or on the on the spectrum have more digestive issues generally, so they're always sort of dealing with you know bloating and gas and and foul off feces and things like that. They've got increased leaky gut, so that intestinal permeability. Um, they've got all these different sort of digestive enzyme activities going on. The capacity of the liver to detox might be a little bit down, and all these things potentially may contribute to this disorder developing um, and yeah the idea is that if we you know treat the gut if we uh, use specific probiotics if we um, follow a, a general sort of gut healthy uh, approach from an early age then this may not occur one of the biggest sort of studies that I like to quote and even though admittedly it's a small study um, was from Finland they sort of split two groups of children 75 infants were randomized and they received either a lactobacillus rhamnosus probiotic or a placebo during the first six months of life and then they monitored them for the next 13 years and they found that um, the the group that received the probiotic 
actually had no incidence of ADHD or autism spectrum disorder. The group who received the placebo had 17% um, incidence. That's pretty oh, wow. striking. And now, it's admittedly, it's a, it's a small test group. It's 75 infants. But that still provides a very strong basis upon which we could actually do some more study and, you know, approach this in a, in a much wider way. And, you know, the, the downsides of actually giving infants and, and focusing on gut health from such an early age, there are none. You <laughs> know, so it's like, yeah, Maybe a bit yeah, of money. you know, it's an incredibly low risk intervention to, to uh, work with a good practitioner and have good probiotics on hand during that whole birthing process and during, you know, the conception process and during, you know, the third trimester and all these really important times. Um, so I, I would love to see this sort of theory and these ideas actually implemented in a big way because you look at these incredible parents who are who are you know really doing it tough and we see it on you know, 60 Minutes and all these different shows where these kids are really struggling you know to socialize and I've seen it in my own family that they're, they're really struggling to socialize and and deal with any sort of problems and things like that and I just think you know imagine if we were able to intervene in those very important sensitive years um, taking gut health into account and what a difference that would make for the rest of their life like what an incredible investment what an ROI to, to just you know to, to see that well, that brings me to to my fa- my last question, which is a practical one, very much connected to what you've just said. And I think you know, for the listeners that are wondering, okay, where to from here? I think it's really important to recognise that Kale, you know, since I've known you, you started off with a podcast, you developed an online program, um, you wrote a book, then you wrote another book, and you've um, I've worked with you at the GoVita annual conference. You've released the Gut Movie, which is in the process of going absolutely global. So, when I ask you for three tips on either what uh, listeners can eliminate or minimize that are doing the most harm to their gut health. What are your top three? I'm putting you on the spot, but three things that would make a massive difference in someone's gut health if they were to eliminate or minimize. Yeah, number one is just create a, or follow a whole foods diet. And I know it sounds so cliche. It it's just sounds so cliche, but you really need to start with a whole foods diet. When we look at cultures who live a really long, healthy life, like you've been doing with the with the Icarians, um, they eat whole foods, you know, and certainly that will be reflected in our gut bacteria. Dr. Margie Smith has done a lot of work in this area looking at, you know, different microbiome signatures and how they sort of are reflected or reflective of um, different diets. And she sort of says a whole foods diet is the best way to go. So those questions, you know, did it run around once? Did it grow on the ground once? And have they done much to it since? Those are really good questions to ask about your dietary choices. Um, mm. Number two, I think I couldn't go past this one because of the gut movie and how much of it was em- emphasized for me is to get, get out in nature and interact with your local ecology. Yeah. Because when you go out and you get a little bit dirty and when you go out and you get in the ocean or you go for a walk in the forest or on the beach i know you, you love that mp um you do <laughs> you telling you telling people to not worry about their hand yes, sanitizer I am because those chemicals are worse than the bugs <laughs> we're trying to kill this is the issue we need yeah. to um appreciate the fact that out there you know i'm looking out at a tree right now there are microbes everywhere 
And we need, we all have microbiome or, or sorry, location dependent microbiome signatures, which help us thrive in our environments. Um, and the more we interact mm. with these environments, the more we should thrive. Um, so that's a really key one. And then my last one is something I've become really passionate about since, you know, coming back from Europe and, and that's just slowing down. We need to slow nice. down this, you know, we're, we're in a rush, you know, and, have you got any peer-reviewed, randomly controlled <laughs> trial studies that show the scientific and biological benefits no. of slowing down? Because I would love to be your first <laughs> test case because I am all for yeah. slowing down. I'm all for siestas. Yeah. I'm all for the fact that 12 p.m. till 2 p.m. is a very unproductive time, so don't try and work um, in those times. But, yes, yes, share with me your views on yeah, this. I love this. I, I, mm, how do I sort of describe it? I've got a few quotes, but one of them is, you're better off being 80% perfect for the rest of your life than 100% perfect for 12 weeks. <laughs> this is something I'm really passionate about and because I see it so much and I yeah. see it, I see the failures of our mindset in the, in the wellness industry right now. It's like I'm going to do this really hardcore diet. I'm going to go keto oh, for 12 weeks yeah. and then at the end of it, I'm going to crash yeah. out and for the next six months, I'm paying back everything I borrowed for that 12 weeks. It's and I'm going to be guilty yeah. and my self-esteem it's is going totally, to plummet because I couldn't keep irrational. it up and I spent all of that time and money on all of those new yeah. recipes mm -hmm. and supplements. It's and, crazy. Uh. All right, so you've given three recommendations of things to either improve on or start, but I want to know three things that people should either stop doing that are either toxic or causing a deficiency, whether it's whatever you think it is, whether it's screen time, whether it's alcohol, whether it's excess sugar, whether it's – what are the things that you think are toxic in our – this mm. is all very general um, – that you think is just really – is is plummeting gut health on a, on a global level? Yeah, I mean, this one's not so sensitive to talk about anymore, but taking antibiotics um, in a situation where they are not absolutely necessary um, is obviously yep. – Necessary being the 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 real the important yeah, word. Yeah, so we've we're drastically overusing them. There was a study that the ABC brought out, or the Bureau of Statistics brought out, showing that um, Australian GPs were prescribing antibiotics up to nine times more than the recommended amount for ARIs, which that's just an acute respiratory infection, which they essentially shouldn't be yeah. prescribed for. You know, it's it's a very silly. Have we just become a bit lax and complacent? Is it almost like let's just do it just in case because it'll I just... I think so. I mean, people want it... to get back to work and this comes back to rushing again. People can't handle being sick for a week and, you know, letting themselves rest <laughs> and, and get better the old way. You know, it's like a need... Yeah. And it's not just the GP's fault. This is the thing I try and point out to people. When we walk into the office and say, I need a pill for my ill, it's just as much our yeah, fault. If we don't get yeah. a script, yeah, that's negligence. You know, it's, it's very... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we've gotten a bit crazy. So there we go. Taking antibiotics unnecessarily is number one. Um, I think oh, this is one that a lot of people don't talk about is um, buying inorganic food. So when you consume yep. food that has pesticides and a lot of Roundup on it, which we now know, which was just confirmed by a jury in the States, can cause cancer. Um, we, uh, When we have those foods, we are affecting our gut in a really big way because those chemicals those substances kill bugs they kill microbes that's what they're designed for so when we consume them you know those residues certainly have an impact on our gut microbiome and the other one i think a uh, surprising one that's sort of hot off the press recently uh is sleep so when we yeah yes. when we don't sleep properly when we get disrupted sleep when we um have a disrupted circadian rhythm so we go to bed at 
vastly different times every single night and we you know doing all these different things then that the research does show that we will disrupt the microbiome um you could throw stress in there as well but i think that's those those Oh, the, my thing is uh, when you sleep well, you eat well, you're in nature, you slow down, you minimize or eliminate antibiotic use and you're eating mm. better foods, your stress levels are in far better nick. Um, you know, so I think that's just, that's key. So so just to, to summarize here, start or do more of a whole foods diet, more nature and slowing down, eliminate, um, reduce antibiotics, inorganic uh, food and um, get more sleep. Mate, that is so good. Thank you so much, Carl. You are just a wealth of information and we could go on and on and on. But for all of our listeners, make sure you get into the GoVita store. Go and check out kalebrock.com.au where you will find the Gut Summit. You'll find links to the Gut Movie, which is a global phenomenon. You can um, access so many products. You can get Carl's recommendations. But for Carl's... Um, well, there's there's two books that Carl, that Carl's put together, but for the um the is it the gut healing it's the gut healing protocol that's in the yes, GoVita yeah, stores, it is. isn't it? And the art of probiotic nutrition, which was your first book, um, is available at kalebrock.com.au. Great man, thanks again for joining us as always. It is a true joy to interview you. Thanks for joining thanks us on for the GoVita podcast. All right, folks. Thank you, our loyal listeners, for joining us on this episode of the GoVita podcast. Make sure you subscribe and please, if you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Teach them how to listen to podcasts. Tell your mum and dad, your brother and your sister how it all works and I promise you, you will open up a whole new world for them. Spread the love by leaving a review in iTunes and make sure you head on over to govita.com.au where you can check out the latest Go magazine. That's GoVita's quarterly mag with recipes, tips, special offers and great articles by Kale Brock and a whole lot more. And remember, when next you're doing your shopping, make sure you do so in one of the 150 GoVita stores around Australia because at GoVita, your vitality is our passion. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.